Yeah, so basically um, I do all of the, uh, all the work for this and um, he just... Oh, sorry. Hi, Rob. Hi. How are you? How are you doing? You all right? Uh, uh, good evening. Uh, welcome to um, North v South, the podcast that isn't, isn't about design. Uh, it's episode 34. It is. I came at you then. You did. You certainly did. I thought you were talking to our co-presenter. <laughs> uh, he's been banished. Has he? Yeah. They, in, they, in case he shows us up. They run around too much and it it's annoying. Yeah. <clears throat> How are you? I'm very well. Yeah, not bad at all. Thank you. Um, pretty busy-ish day, doing some design work today, which is really nice. Well, design-ish, it's, a, it's designing a newsletter, so it's not that uh, cutting edge. But for uh, for the agency I worked on EelPie for, oh, yeah. they got in touch and they needed some work doing, so I've been sat at my desk working for them. So we've got another day or two of that. Uh, squeezed in my little inktober drawing. Um, well, they seem yeah. to be going down very well, don't they? Yeah, they're going down very nicely. Well, on 20th, uh, how many have you sold? 20. No. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, they sell sort of within five minutes of going up, which is nice. And you're selling them directly from Instagram. People yeah. are getting in touch with you from that. Yeah. That's astonishing, yeah. isn't it? It is. I mean, it's, but, it's also quite relevant to what we're going to talk about later, but um, yeah, sorry. Yes, it is. Um, yeah, so people message me basically on Instagram and the first person to get through gets it. Um, but it's worked quite well for me. Uh, Instagram for illustration. That's pretty much where all my work has come from for illustration. So it's obviously um, haunted by art directors and people who commission illustration and <clears throat> just people who like illustration. Yeah. It seems to be, um, we didn't talk about your isometric grid <laughs> <laughs> last week. We completely forgot, but um, yeah. it's, it's so interesting seeing your, uh, your working out. Oh, the, uh, yeah, it's quite funny. So I put up a, I've been drawing these little isometric buildings and uh, illustrations and I put up a, an illustration the other day halfway through. So it was just all pencil lines and rules and sort of measurements and things. And I think a lot of people think I was just drawing them entirely freehand without any working out at all, which would have been miraculous. Um, but I quite enjoy, I've, I've always enjoyed technical drawing. Um, I'd spent a couple of years as a, structural engineering draftsman um a long time ago so i've always enjoyed that sort of thing and i guess my work's always reasonably precise and neat so it probably suits it quite well mm. they remind they remind me of a game called fez did you ever play fez i don't know fez no right it's not an old game it's actually relatively new but it's quite a retro styled because it's in yeah. an isometric isometric grid which takes it back to a game on the spectrum that was called nebulous did you ever play that i don't know that nebulous was, either. It was a brilliant game it was um basically you were just on a uh, on a cylindrical tower um but your character stayed in the middle of the screen because it obviously couldn't oh, do okay. 3d properly but when you yeah. walked around this you know it would rotate and you'd have to climb up these towers and then knock them down and it was it was a brilliant game. Yeah. I'll put that in the sh- show notes. Um, yeah, quite a few people have said that it reminds me of reminds them of certain video games. I think Mechorama is a new one, an app, you know, an iOS game that's out at the minute that they say it's a bit similar to, which I haven't played. All right, what's that called? Mechorama, I think. No. Um, I don't get time. But to yeah, play they definitely things. look like sort of tiled, kind of computery type stuff, don't they? 
I love the underwater ones, the Venice ones. Yeah, they're good fun to do. Um, some of the, I think some of the sketches, sometimes the little thumbnail sketches I do of them uh, have got a bit more character about them. Sometimes gets a little bit lost when I get the set square out. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's good fun. Oh, I, I took a trip to Southampton on Tuesday um, briefly with Steph. We were dropping off Steph's uh, mum and dad and her godmum at Southampton docks to go to America. And they were going on the Queen Mary 2. Oh, really? I'd love to do that. Blimey, it's huge. It's a big one. <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, 14 stories, I think. Longer than uh, York Minster is tall. It's just enormous. Um, so that was good, that, you know, seeing lots of excited people ready to spend a week crossing the Atlantic, which to me sounds like a marvellous way to cross the Atlantic. Yeah. On an ocean liner. Very romantic. Proper way to travel, not not getting in aeroplanes. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about your week? Uh, well, last, yeah, I've, I've, I went in an aeroplane. And I haven't been on an aeroplane since I moved here, I think. Yeah, I think I went to Dallas. Um, not Dallas, Houston. Who's done? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't do flying well. And um, yeah, and I had to go to Leeds. So the easiest way to get there was um, was actually flying. Or the cheapest way. It was half the price of the train, which is insane, isn't it? Crazy, yeah. Insane. And how was it? How was the flight? Oh, it was fine, yeah. It's fine. Yeah. I, was yeah. the anticipation of it much worse than the I wasn't reality. actually that bothered. I didn't have time to to work myself yeah. up into a lather about it. Um, I just don't like flying. It's it's not a kind of, you know, I'm going to sit there screaming. It's just, I find it deeply unpleasant, the whole process. Yeah. Uh, but actually it was all right, but it was a five o'clock start. And I got back about, I think about half nine, something like that. So yeah, it was a long old day. <clears throat> I'm just not, yeah, I'm just, I know everybody, you know, people do it, don't they? Day in, day out. And it's part of their jobs. They're always whizzing about all over the place. But I think when you, when it's out of your comfort zone and it's something so alien to you, it becomes quite a, I don't know, it just seems a weird thing to be doing. Yeah, like, and it's, it's so much hassle involved, isn't it? It's not a pleasant process, you know, getting on a plane and... I don't no, know. I think the Terminal 5 makes it a lot easier, doesn't it? And yeah. British Airways. Actually, I've never the, actually flown from The plane was really up. nice. And it was empty as well, so I had a whole row. Yeah. yeah um, but it was nice. literally, it was going up and it was coming down by the time it, you know... It was only yeah. 40 minutes, I think. Fine. Yeah. And then I, I went to Leeds, um, which I'd never been to before. And I don't think it's going to remain on my bucket list, I have to say. It wasn't. <laughs> I guess I guess you have to know the nice bits. Yeah, it was all right. It was just, it's quite a small city, isn't it? It's really, mm. really tiny. Um, yeah. And I was in an industrial estate outside it. Yeah, that's no fun, is it? Yeah. <clears throat> but I went to a factory and I like factories. What was the factory making? Uh, they make safety equipment for building sites, like oh, okay. uh, yes. sort of, uh, yeah, gates and things like that. Mm. Uh, but it was, I love, you know, I love a bit of spot welding. <laughs> you nerd. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was really, it was, quite, it was quite good fun, actually. It was good to get out. Um, what else have I been doing? Um, I've, well, I've been working on their job, um, le- uh, designing some page layout templates. Mm-hmm. Um get approval uh i did some more another interview for the website that i'm working on um i've had a lot of to and froing with a potential client over money um which is uh interesting 
and yeah. um and i wrote i wrote those brand guidelines last week and uh, yeah my brand guidelines went off to the client and yeah they they love them so oh, that's really good yeah so and i've now got powerpoint templates to do for them and i wrote in a thing hashtag sad face yeah that's yeah. Do you know i don't mind i don't mind is that bad i don't mind doing powerpoint templates it's just um, quite cumbersome, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit clunky. Um, but these are, they're using the newer PowerPoint, so it's a lot easier. Um, yeah. I generally just build everything in Keynote and then import it in and fiddle around Good. with it. Oh, does that work okay? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Um, but PowerPoint's all right. Uh, it's just the older versions. Yeah. Uh, what else have we been doing? Um, oh, I've... Uh, uh, we should announce the book of the month. Um, I've just yes, I said in the notes, I've just read David Mitchell. I, I just love his books. Um, I've read his first and his last books in a, in a week. I've got, <laughs> I've sandwiched I've got one him. of his sat here waiting to be read. I haven't, I've, I've read so little in the last few months. It's ridiculous. I think I used to read a lot on when I was commuting in and out of London. And I think that gets you into the, the mindset of reading and you, you know, you read a bit on the, train and you think when you get home you think oh i'll just read a bit more and i've literally apart from our books of the month i haven't read anything this year right just bizarre because i usually read a lot but i've got one of david mitchell's waiting to be read i can't remember which one well uh, you'll love bone clocks oh it might be that yeah big thick one (laughs) yeah yeah you'll love it i hope anyway i hope you love it his, his last one was um we're going to get into going completely off piste here today, but um, it's called Slade House, and it's actually like a an offshoot of the Bone Clocks um, story. Okay, and it's really short. I read it in uh, two nights. It's I, I don't know how many pages it is because it's on the Kindle, but I think it's like a couple hundred pages, if that. And um, it's great. It's really really good. It's kind of a ghost story, so I uh, really recommend that. Uh, I love the universe that he's built. And all of his characters kind of crop up in most of his books. I like that. I like yeah. it when you get recurring characters, yeah. even if they're just mentioned in passing. Yeah. And another one I love is Neil Gaiman. Um, yeah. Who's a similar writer, actually. I think he's more he's more um, folklorey than Mitchell. Mitchell's more and probably sci-fi. a bit less a bit less literary. Yeah, I think I, I was trying to I was explaining to Jess who I thought he was. Mitchell's like. Um, uh, Martin Amis mixed okay. with Ian Banks. Right. You know, he's like a cross like that. Yeah. Whereas Neil Gaiman is a bit more gnarly, isn't he? He's a bit more um, German folktale yeah. uh, and comic book uh, dialogues. Def- definitely, um, yeah. Um, but uh, the one I read last year of his was uh, The Ocean at the End of the Lane. Have you read yeah, that? Yeah, it's wonderful, isn't oh, it? It's just... Maybe we do that as a book of the month if we both yeah, got we, copies yeah, we should. of it. Because I'd, yeah. I'd, dev- I'd love to, I'd, I'd, I'd um, lap that one up again. Yeah, I'd like to read that again. I mean, I'd suggest um, American Gods as a book of the month, but that's a bit too hefty. Yeah, I've read that though. It's, it's yeah, great. It's, it's great. Yeah, uh, he's better at narrative than um, the Mitchell. Mitchell sometimes gets caught up in his own, a bit like Banks used to, you know, yeah, just enjoying. More ideas and- yeah, but I think you're, yeah, Bone Clocks is a great one to start on actually. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, oh, that so was book, about all book of the month. Oh, yeah. <laughs> book of the month. I sent I sent a load of books over. Um, we were umming and ahhing about design books, um, but we've gone for a novel, haven't we? We have. 
And? Which one? Remind me. <laughs> it's Lynn Dayton. Uh, it's the Upcrest file. Oh, the Upcrest file. I was just trying to remember which one we decided on. Which is a good starting point for if you're getting into Dayton, but also for him as a, he, you know, when he decided to transition from a professional illustrator into becoming a professional writer. Um, and he wrote this one on a, I think he was on holiday in France um, when he wrote it. Uh, and it's just... Uh, it's just a it's just a great book. It's a, it's an anti-hero book. So yeah. um we'll be picking up in I don't know, probably take us 3 or 4 weeks to read. You should have it tomorrow actually. I've sent you a cool. copy. Thank you very much. That's all right. I'm looking for, I'm really looking forward to that because uh as I said and shocked you I haven't read any Dayton. So um looking forward to my first yeah, Taste if you of, like Chandler, have you read any Chandler? I have, yeah. Yeah, well, it, it's, you know, it's literally, a, you know, his first couple of books are a complete rip-off of, of Chandler, so no, real. what's not to like? Absolutely. <clears throat> uh, quick follow-up on, can we do a quick follow-up? We've got yeah. time. Yeah, got, that's... Uh, um, on last week, a grid, uh, I understand it was a, um, it was a difficult subject to talk about because it's quite dry and, um, you know, you could just, sit there listing off a load of old grids which we, i think we managed to avoid yeah but um i was thinking about uh i was looking at a lot of the old there's those manual one and manual two books that were yeah. out by what were they what's the publisher called Un, units unit editions yeah unit editions i think you can get the sec the first one still but i don't think i think the second one sold out yeah um but looking at some of the old uh, brand manuals which is a much better word isn't it than guidelines uh, yes they, they, a lot of the logos are, are printed onto grids. And I was thinking, well, are we being a bit unfair and, you know, that they were traditionally used on grids? And then I thought, uh, thought about it and I thought, no, actually. Um, I wonder if that is driving people to start drawing over the tops of their logos as that justification because they are looking at older brand guidelines. But I think what we have to look at is the, or appreciate is that uh, brands, you know, in historically 20s 30s up to the 60s 70s were drawn by hand so they yep. needed geometry and and set squares and you know all that kind of stuff to enable them as compasses to enable them to draw the logo so yeah, therefore absolutely. they were drawing from geometry um but we have illustrator and generally i think i'd suggest that was probably the the main tool that most people use to draw logos mm. um and it's got those tools built in with grids and, you know, all that kind of stuff and guides yeah, and stuff. Guides and, and yeah. so you don't use them anymore. Those tools aren't used. So putting them back into something that is automated um, is kind of, it, yeah, I think it kind of, it, what did it do? It just, um, it just sort of artificially, proved up. It's like it's artificially adding a, a layer of craft yeah so, it made me feel like i wasn't being really unfair by by dissing dissing that um, yeah but it's interesting you think that you know this prevalence of kind of reissued uh design manual and brand guidelines and the kind of love of all that classic stuff um could be influencing the way we present our work yeah i think we touched on something really important last week which stop presenting to other designers um yeah uh and i think that ace jet uh, wrote a really good um, uh, article on it on his website. Yeah. What is his website called? Is it? It's Jet 170. Right. And uh, it's um, 
it's a really good article about uh, nostalgia and uh, whether um, this sort of, uh, especially the co-op brand, whether that is nostalgic or whether it is um, just drawing on, you know, stuff that has really worked well before, but standing on its own two feet, which was kind of my my initial feeling for the co-op rebrand. Um, but you, you, you didn't agree so much, did you? Well, I think in, in the end, it might have just been a matter of semantics about what yeah. exactly nostalgia is, because I thought it was it was very much drawing on nostalgia, but not necessarily a visual one, but uh, harking back to the the kind of love and trust that the court brand itself used to embody. Um, and they were, you know, harking back to its old look to reflect those old standards because of the problems that it, it had recently with chief execs and drug problems and uh, losing billions of pounds in dodgy... Um, uh, investments and things. Um, uh, I, I wasn't denigrating the the quality of the design by saying it was it was based on uh, nostalgia. No, all. no. But um, but I think there was. A, a, I mean, I don't know. You know, I could be entirely wrong. But to me, it all came out of you know wanting to hark back to the good old days. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go on to uh, my first news story, if that's all right, because it's kind of relevant to what we're talking about. Is that okay? okay. Do you mind? Yeah. If you, no, no, you, you got, do that, and then I've got one that's relevant as well. So, okay, um, it's uh, it's a it's a rebrand that was in Design Week. What was that? I can hear an open can of beer at a thousand paces. Yeah. What have I'm you just, got today? Uh, it's a Beaver Town Smog Rocket smoked <laughs> smoked porter. What? Which I thought might go quite well with our pie later. Which Ooh. we'll talk about. Yeah, it's, it smells great. This, this uh, beer. Anyway, carry on. Don't let um, me stop you. Yo sushi. Yep. The uh, the sushi chain that are m- mainly based in the UK. Um, they have rebranded, um, and they are dropping the word sushi from their <laughs> brand. So they are now just called Yo. Yeah. Uh, I am not going to question the design chops of the people that have done the rebrand on this because i think i really respect their work and um they're it's paul belford limited um mm-hmm. and uh they've got some really talented people working for them i just i sniff something you know out in the dumpster a bit of salmon that's gone funny here because it's really strange um it sounds really uh, I, I my initial notes were it sounds really unsure of itself the brand um what Yo, what? Why drop the word sushi? I'm. I understand. Maybe they're producing more food that isn't sushi based. Yeah. But because this is a um, uh, a UK franchise, which is kind of like a, it's faux Japanese food, isn't yeah. it? It's not yeah, real yeah. at all. Um, um, a lot of the work translates into Japanese, so they've used a lot of Japanese text and uh, you know tried to be be authentic to Japanese. Um, but no one is going to understand that in the UK. I don't, uh, yeah, it, it, I find it really, really strange. Um, the story also alludes to the fact that they recently rebranded in March or April of this year, which I actually don't think is good reporting because if you look at the story about them rebranding, um, it's just that another agency called Ann Smith that I've not heard of before, which yeah. is Ampersand Smith. I, I don't know how you say that, but, yeah. um, it seems like they 
they created some in in store graphics and posters that moved the the story along so you can see that it, they're progressing because it was um tokyo based stories um, yeah, yeah. and kind of news items so you can see that they're trying to move towards a more authentic japanese feel for the brand um and i think the brand looks great and i love the 3d look to it um i just wonder why why the yo it seems really really uncertain of it's where a, it, it's going it is a really confusing article because it also says a spokesman from Yo Sushi says that the new logo is an evolution of the restaurant's branding rather than a rebrand, and that Yo Sushi business will not be changing its name to Yo. Yeah, um, I, I, I love the design elements and stuff. But it looks There's like some beautiful stuff there. Yeah, they've reskinned their um, their website, which is a horror. Their website is horror, a horror. Yeah, um, yeah low resolution images, and it's really, really nasty. Um, but they produced well i have to say the the, out, the outstanding bit of it is the brand book is in a bento box yeah uh, which does fab, look it? great and they've made these kind of fish-shaped perspex cutouts for the material they've used really obviously nice. and it's got some pantone chips in it um but yeah i just i just i don't understand where the business is going what 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 they see the strategy and i don't think that the um i don't think the article tells us and i haven't read anything about um I haven't read the response of the agency. I think they're just keeping quiet, which is good. Um, yeah. But I'm not sure why why they're doing why they're doing this. So it's an it's an interesting story, and I'll, I'll definitely keep an eye on it. Yeah, I was just having a quick look at the previous branding that rolled out in April. That's quite strong as well. Yeah, but it looks like to me that's not branding. That's just a campaign, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, think that so. maybe there is a strategy that. Um, you know, they're moving towards that. I just don't understand why you would introduce Japanese text into, you know, a nation that can barely read its own language, let let alone a different alphabet. (laughs) Well, I guess Superdry do that, don't they? The clothing chain, which is English and gives the impression that it's a Japanese clothing line that's, you know, producing stuff over here, Um, you know, with all the Japanese text on it and Japanese uh, illustrative stuff in stores and, but you know entirely english just yeah know, maybe yeah. maybe that's inspiration for it what was yeah. what, what was your one well it was uh it's about the nostalgia thing really um because kodak have rebranded have they um <clears throat> and i because obviously kodak have been sort of through the wars struggling to keep up with digital um photography uh, and they had a rebrand back in 2006, which entirely passed me by. Um, and they've gone back to their earlier, one of their earlier logos, um, which is, I think it's supposed to be like a camera shutter sort of flash type. You know, it's like the red K on the yellow background. Oh, like it used to be on their film. Exactly. On the end of the boxes. Yep. So it's the, it's the same logo, Mark, but instead of uh, horizontal Kodak, within that shape it's got uh, a stacked kodak and the logos yeah nothing you know that exciting but the the rollout across different stuff um packaging um product promos batteries super 8 cartons is lovely really really nice um it's lovely stuff i the, the logo itself is just is fine 
Um, but I think the the way they've used it is fantastic. So it's worth a look. Um, yeah, I, I, I love it. I'm packaging. just having a quick look. Yeah, I love it. I think I think that the um, the lettering on the the icons lost in in small mm. sizes. But um, yeah, I think it's uh, <clears throat> yeah works for me. Yeah, it'd be good um, to see them return, wouldn't it? But um, it would. Or you know, it would. Bring, I don't even... you know, they need a product like that Leica Insta camera. You know, yes, that's do. what they need. You know, I think they do. Yeah, but similar to that, don't you, they? But... I, I, I would. You know, the brand isn't desirable anymore, is it? No. Oh well. Uh, my next bit of news. I'm just going to jump straight in. Is a it's a bit rude, isn't it? A radio show <laughs> I listen to um, whilst driving down to Southampton. And this is, for me, the beauty of Radio 4. And that whenever you turn it on, you know, unless you're really good at knowing the schedule, you don't really know what you're going to get. So I turned it on and there was a very educated English woman talking uh, about African uh, hunters and talking about this honey guide. Um, and she was talking about the fact that this honey guide uh, parasitizes kingfisher eggs and destroys them and i was like what what is this what is the honey guide what is it is it a some sort of parasitic wasp is it laying its eggs and it was ages before she actually explained the honey guide is a bird and it is the only bird the only wild animal that can interpret human language and honey guides work with african tribes people and it leads them to um, honeybee nests so that the people can harvest the honey and the bird can then feast on the grubs that are left behind. And I, I've never heard of this. And it was just the, one of the most amazing things, I thought. And the sort of thing that you can only stumble across on somewhere like Radio 4. Um, so the program is called Natural Histories. And the, the episode was just called Honey Guide. I thought it was fab, and it's the sort of thing that you could imagine in a sci-fi novel, um, you know, slightly tweaked, and it would be amazing. And yet here it is actually happening here on Earth, a bird that, you know, responds to human interaction. Yeah, I, I have heard of Honey Guides because I read a book about <laughs> uh, the um, uh, the cuckoo. Oh, of course. Yeah. And they are brood parasites, just like a cuckoo. They but are, yeah. But they're one step more evil. They are. Uh, they're malevolent beyond words. Is that their, their chicks are born with a little hook on their beak, is it, I think? Yeah. Something like that. And they hack to death the... Um, the 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 nestlings of the oh. of the host bird um i or they just or they get the egg and just hook it out and throw it out the nest yeah the, it, uh, not that they not that they would throw it out the nest because they're actually in burrows normally aren't they yes they are. um but yeah what a what a strange yeah weird bit of nature Absolutely but they actually so so they they lead humans to honey yeah so that the humans can break open the nests to harvest the honey and then the bird eats the grubs. Yeah, and the bird uh, if I remember in the they the the wax, right? I think yes. they they digest yeah, the, the wax. wax. As well. So it's like yeah. a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. So they're not only just a parasite but they're symbi- in symbiosis with African tribesmen. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Wow. Fascinating well, stuff. Thank- only on Radio 4. Yes, exactly. And 
you know, God bless it. Uh, my next story is uh, a DNAD award pencil winner. I'm not normally uh, a big fan of this kind of thing, but I saw it and I thought it was an interesting story and I loved the um, the concept for it. It's uh, Leo Burnett in Argentina, who are a an advertising agency, I'm guessing. Yep. Uh, won a pencil for uh, a sort of film or an ad, it didn't really say, an ad campaign called Safety Truck. And it's for Samsung delivery trucks have... Uh, Argentina's got a problem. Here's a classic design solution, you know, problem solution kind of thing. Uh, one person per hour is killed in Argentina on the road, which is quite a lot, isn't it? Yeah, I, don't, it is. I haven't got a calculator out to work that one out, but I'm sure somebody can. Um, but it's a lot of people and predominantly they're killed on single roads overtaking vehicles. So Samsung... Uh, decided that they were going to put a camera on the front of their trucks and uh, a video screen on the back of the trucks so that if you're driving behind it, you can see what's in front of the truck. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, it's just an inspired and simple um, campaign, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, uh, my my counterpoint to that would be um, if we're developing cars of the future and they're going to be driverless, Yes. then this is dead in the water, isn't it, really, as a concept? Uh, not necessarily, <laughs> no. because if you're a driverless car following a truck, you'll still need you to still, see. Him from- you've still got that issue. And as I learned today, uh, Elon Musk is uh, rolling out completely, you know, cars that are able to drive themselves. It's not going to be for the public consumption yet, but he demoed something. But it was showing a car looking for a parking space, and it drove past a parking space, and someone said, you know, why is it? driven past that space why didn't park there and he said oh well because it read the parking notice and could tell that it was for a disabled bay only so it drove on to find the next one so not only can cars drive themselves but they can read so i would imagine a a self-driving car would just be a look at the the video on the back of the truck and figure it out yeah i know you're in love with that man but um i wouldn't believe a word he says (laughs) right (laughs) Uh, uh, you know, it might be entirely an entire, right. An entire continent can't parachute, sadly, a uh, a, um, a probe onto the surface of the Mars. So, right. how he's going to get flights to there is anyone's well, that's guess. The problem, though, uh, you know, that was an, a European probe. Oh, the right. only probes that have landed there are American. Ah, uh, there you go. <laughs> no, but I, I, um, I just thought it was a it's a great simple campaign yeah. project and really really nice uh, sadly the 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 film is plinky plonky so turn oh, the it? sound off yeah yeah i've seen a few of those today. it's full of, it's full of hope at the end you know oh, as, it, as the solution is 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 it is, is, is revealed yeah we get kind of a swell of joy delightful as well as i accelerate in my four by four past this truck but they've only got five trucks argentina I, I i suspect is quite a large place so I, i'm not yes. sure it's going to make a significant impact um, mm. but it's clever and cool made me smile yeah um my last bit of news i've got a bunch of news but we should probably crack on is um on the nhs.uk blog so this is part i think linked to the the work that's being done on gov.uk um, with the, the kind of redesign of all the government UK government online services. Um, the 
blog has an article called Establishing Design Principles for NHS.UK. And I thought this was quite interesting because it's not something I've seen overtly written down before. So they've got four design principles. And this is stuff that they're they're kind of looking at and keeping in mind as they proceed to redesign the NHS.UK. So it's not uh, like a, a manifesto. It's not uh, guidelines. It's it's not kind of a visual thing. It's it's kind of more open than that. So these four principles, um, just quickly, are don't get in the way, look ahead and around, continual improvement and honest and open. Um, and they've got a bit of spiel about each of these things. But I thought it was really interesting to see written down and kind of stated this um, this kind of primary approach to a design project. And I can't think of anything else that I've seen that laid out in that way. I mean, obviously designers and teams, you know, probably go through this as part of a process, but I think it was interesting and really useful to kind of set about some really fundamental sort of statements about how you're going to approach a job. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's brave. Mm. Who's Tim Allen apart from the comedian? I don't know. Mm. Um, but I mean, you say it's brave, but they're quite, um, you know, they're quite open, aren't they? They're, you know, they're, I mean, what's it vague, but you know, I think they're, no one's going to have a go at them if they, you know, it's not going to be obvious if you've strayed from these things, but um, I just think it's really interesting. I just hope that it isn't uh, a layer on top of the structure of the, of these departments, these government departments, you know, that we're, I think it was all very noble at the beginning and great that gov.org or whatever, um, the design group that, moved in there but it seems like they're um are they producing people who are within those organizations who are going to uphold these uh these ideals and if they're not then it's just a complete waste of time isn't it it's uh putting lipstick on a gorilla so i do hope that these are you know pillars that they will push through into day-to-day running of and day-to-day decision-making. Yeah, that's absolutely the key, isn't it? It has to become second nature to think about these things as you're working on any element of the project. Yeah, and reflect, you know, the nurse in, you know, the ward at night doing the rounds, yeah. you know, and, and the dedication that they put into um, to their daily work. You know, that, that should be reflected in the website to some extent i know it sounds really pretentious doesn't it but that that kind of effortless effort (laughs) should be reflected in the nhs um you know just uh, outstanding professionalism and care of duty yeah absolutely right um but yeah i think it's i think it's i think it's brave um i I will definitely read that blog because it's got some interesting thoughts on there yeah so tim allen by the way is a a designer he he works on the inland revenue um, stuff and he's worked for the BBC and for that was really taxing that was that <laughs> very good oh dear what, what you got next this is via modern desk again 
um, which I called modern desktop last week, but I'm sure <laughs> I'm shortening now. I've rebranded. Um, and it's, uh, Fontsmith who I, I love some of their yep. fonts um, yep. Clark and well being one that I really like. Um, they have produced a lovely poster, uh, called the A to Z of typographic terms, which I think is perfect for, uh, something that we're going to be doing in a few weeks, which yep. is a, an episode entirely on typographic terms. So we're just going to literally read this poster. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yes. So, you know, block, block a date in your diary for listening to classic stuff. But, yeah. um, no, it's this one, poster. yeah. And you can print it off. Um, and it gives you, um, all sorts of different bits of information about, about posters. I think it would be really good to just put in a bar or anywhere like that. Cause yeah. it's just, it's just interesting. Interesting. And I like the color palette a lot. Yeah, it's real sort of, uh, what would you call that green? It's almost minty. Kelly, Kelly green? <laughs> I'm going by vinyls. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Coming from a sign game. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it is. It's, it's vaguely minty, isn't it? And a, yeah. a dark grey. I'm looking great. at it on a on an iPad that is um has gone to that orangey kind of... Uh, oh, the they, nighttime what, thing. Yeah. Yeah, everything so goes could, weirdly warm, doesn't it? It could be anything. Yeah. Uh, I'll just quickly look at one other thing that I've got on my list. Uh, continuing our... Um, PR for Kickstarter. Uh, it's called Boulon Blanc. Um, and it's a, a transformable table. And it's fab. It's a really nice circular table with beautifully kind of slightly organic looking legs, which are have kind of got a pivot three quarters of the way up them. And you kind of lift the table and the weight of the legs shifts and then you drop it down. So it can either be like a dining table at kind of dining table height or it drops down into like coffee table height and it's um i just think it's really elegant and beautifully done if you click on the kickstarter link there's a gif of it in action halfway down and it's uh i think it's really clever yeah no it's super cool um, That's lovely, isn't it? and even and the designer or whoever it is has even got rolled up um jeans with bare no legs socks. and and leather shoes yeah. So it really is authentic. It is. I'm sure if you play that video, <laughs> it's terribly plinky plonky. <laughs> uh, so our main discussion tonight, we've we've kind of touched on this a few times, and it's part of the the life of being a, a designer, whether you're a, a freelancer or whether you're working in your studio. And to be honest, it's a it's part of the life of being sort of self-employed a lot or just working with a computer is how you manage to communicate with your client and in particular how you manage the communications from your client i think um what channels they use uh how how do you prioritize communication how do you prioritize getting back to your client how do you manage a a kind of an influx of of uh communication input from everywhere um so there you go john how do you manage um, really badly, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's the biggest problem in my business. Uh, it's the gateway to all my uh, or the way I, to where, the way I make money. It's the gateway to uh, the way I make new clients, and it's the gateway to hell. <laughs> um, and I cannot resolve it because. Every client is different and every client 
wants to do it a different way. Um, and I think we've got systems in place that are totally broken. And all we're doing is inventing new, you know, every single new bit of communication device that comes out, uh, technology, uh, what we're we calling it channels, I guess. Yeah. Um, just makes it more and more complicated to manage. It doesn't solve the, the issue. So I wanted to start off with, yeah, what do we mean by communication? I think you've just summarized that perfectly. Um, but I'd say it's, you know, any in interaction between you and a client, that's what we're talking about tonight, isn't it? Specifically. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it is an interaction. Um, I don't think that we include in this websites or, uh, newsletters or anything like that i think that's marketing um i think we're talking about direct interaction where you know i think 20 years ago it would have been fax or phone call wouldn't it or face-to-face yep. -face meeting um, we've got a myriad of ways of doing that now but i think the main system the main way is email what what would you say Rob? yeah absolutely i mean the vast majority of my interaction with any client is email after usually after that first content because contact because as i said you know the, the vast majority of my initial contact with anyone is um instagram or sometimes twitter but usually instagram but yeah i, I so i think email is almost like the central core of your communication isn't it but then there are like you say there are so many ch new channels that just add to the noise they don't you know, they don't work nicely with it. Um, and I don't know how how that can be fixed. So I can get a message on Instagram and I typically tell people to email me uh, with more information about a job, which they usually do, but then occasionally they'll go back to Instagram. Um, and the same on Facebook. On my page on Facebook, people will message me and I'll tell them to email me and then they'll they message me on Facebook to tell me they've emailed me, and and it's every like you say every extra channel just complicates things. Um, and you've got things like you know obviously you use Basecamp and there's things like Slack and instant messaging and WhatsApp and Messenger. Um, and it's I think the complication comes from just the the multitude of of input, doesn't it? that it's hard to keep track of, that it becomes non-linear. Um, not, not a good place, really. No, I think it's really, really hard. And it's, I think that, that part of it, I think, we, yeah, let's go back, let's go back to email, right? So mm. when did email become, why did it become the primary uh channel for communication because you know when i started work and when you started work there was no such thing as email and, and no. generally we've talked about this before where you know your office had one person who did the email yeah <laughs> that they would literally print off all the emails and collect them together and give them to whoever was dealing with whatever it was like a it's just another way of doing letters yeah. um but when when did it why do you think it became so i think i think the why I think the why is easy because it's instant and it's free. Yeah. Um, um, and I wonder if the, if the slight, um, remove from personal contact helps email. It's easier to email for a lot of people than it is to pick up a phone. Um, particularly if there's element of, 
not not an argument, but um, an element of confrontation or the discussion that needs to be had. Sometimes it's much easier just to put your points across in an email, isn't it? Um, I wonder if that is something that led to it being becoming so ubiquitous. Mm. So, uh, yeah, we've <laughs> the problem with email is that it reaches right into you, doesn't it? It 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 makes you react in a way that no other community for me personally, I'm talking uh, that no other communication can do. And um, with with phone call. Um, and face-to-face meetings, you kind of have a chance to deflect or <clears throat> ignore or um, I, guess, I guess kind of like uh, question and kick back against. It's easier to guide something in face-to-face or over the phone, isn't it? Whereas there's nothing like email to that, to uh, to trigger pure <laughs> white rage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And a lot of that is is just because people, lots of people treat email in very different ways, don't they? Some, you know, you still get emails that are written formally, like a letter from 1958. Uh, some people write it as if they're sending you a text message and you've got all the, the in-betweens. Um, so it's, it can be very easy to misinterpret something that's in an email, I think, um, particularly if it's come from someone who, who hasn't necessarily thought too much about how they're wording something or writing their email and yeah that can trigger rage because it just seems so it often seems so abrupt and thoughtless doesn't it yeah i i can't help but i i think i think emails are broken um i think that's you know the whole system is crazy so you have this you know you have a to-do list a daily to-do list and then you have customers who want things done and you have to um, negotiate with them when those things are going to be done. And that's fine. And while you're doing this, emails are coming in and they jump straight to the front of the queue. So an email is, you know, is like a blog. You know, the, the it rises to the top immediately. Yeah. It should rise to the bottom. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You're dealing with yeah. stuff already, but there's no way in most email applications to manage this. Um, you can. You can just set it to, to date oldest first at the top, can't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe um, you should try that for a week. <laughs> I think I'd get I'd get in trouble. But um there's a you know there's a sort of new trend in in email applications to schedule thing. So an email comes yep. in and then you schedule it to come back. And I'm using that increasingly. I will jump off my app uh, my Mac uh, onto iOS and I use um, uh, Outlook on on iOS uh, because it has that scheduling system. Okay. And then I'll say, okay, I want to, I want that to come back in my inbox on Monday morning or whatever. I don't want to have to, you know, either forget that it's there or um, I don't want to have to deal with it at all. And and that's brilliant. I lo- I love that. But the fact is, you still then have to deal with that incoming bit of communication so when you're working and you're busy i tend to when i'm really busy tend to turn my emails off but yeah i do that i've got clients who assume that you are literally like a live feed like it's literally coming into your into your lap (laughs) so this but this comes back to something we've talked about before when we did the mike matera thing didn't it it's not email that's broken it's your relationship with your client I don't necessarily mean yours. I mean, if you 
you know, if your client is expecting always an instant response, then have you made the mistake in always giving them an instant response so now you can't get out of it? Yeah, I don't agree with him there because I think it's impossible to, like we say, you've got to have a process, right? And a general process, but yeah. you can't have a process for every single different client. This is what, this is where we come round circular to the, to the problem we've got is that if you've got a client who uses, you know, let's say throughout the day, they'll use email, text, WhatsApp, Facebook, yeah. You know, you're going around. I mean, we do that with each other sometimes when we're communicating. If you we get, do. You're jumping onto different I just things. do that just to mess with your head. I know you do. It's like Pied Piper. Has the um, pigeon arrived yet? <laughs> my little pigeon. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> with a message. Oh, not in a pie. No. No, my pie arrived. Did it? Mine's still cooking. <sighs> Mine's been computerized. Does it, does it smell good? Aurac did it. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's all, it's beautiful. It's a thing of beauty. Anyway, I can't it? know. I'm going to put, um, where were we? Emails. Okay. So if email is boring broken, you with email, what, what's, what's a perfect system? Oh, I don't, there isn't one, is there? It's, it, <laughs> you know, um, I, I think that, uh, yeah. So going back to the Mike Montero thing is that, you, you know, it's not the email that's broken. It is the email that's broken. It's not the communication. You've got to have some kind of rule book and you have to communicate that to your client. But that's assuming that you're dealing with the same person in the same organization all the time. Uh, and yeah. I'm only a small, tiny little one man band. And I have, say, 15 clients, maybe 20 now. Uh, an active at any one time, maybe five or six. But mm-hmm. in those five or six, there might be three or four people of each yeah. one. And they all want to behave in a different way. Um, and they all have their own foibles or ways of communicating. And I have to adapt the way I communicate to them differently for each one. I can't, you know, do the ignoring ones because some just won't get it. You know, mm. they, they, um, I, especially younger ones, they do not like the phone. They will not, you know, they will send an yeah. email that's urgent that has to be done there and then and um, completely assume that that's now just notified me on 75,000 different devices. The problem yeah. is I don't have any notifications turned on. I don't turn on the notifications because my email is constantly <laughs> filling up. So yeah. I've got one that, you know, that I use all the time. Um, and I will turn it off if I'm really, really busy, which is kind of fair, isn't it? I'd, Absolutely. You know, um, so I just, I cannot work out a system that isn't going to drive me absolutely potty um, because I'm doing this kind of really fast, you know, fast paced graphic design where I'm turning around work really quickly and it's agency style. Um, and, you know, that's where we get account managers who are dealing with that. And that slows it down, but that doesn't, mm. that doesn't get rid of the problem, does it? So what, what kind of solutions do you have when you, when you are getting overwhelmed? What do you do? Well, like you, I do turn off my email. It's, it's easier for me because, um, I tend to work in people's offices. So it's just not, it's not, um, I'm never inundated with e- client emails, uh, hardly ever. Um, but now I think as much as to, to get away from the distraction, I do turn off email completely if I want to to work. Um, but I don't I don't know if there's a an easy way around it. Um, 
I think the the key has to be trying to narrow down the amount of available channels people can contact you on, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, if you've how yeah, how does it work with you? If people you know if people say you know what are your contact details, you do it. I don't know. You say your email and you've got a telephone number. Is that it? And they say, oh, we use WhatsApp. Yeah. Or we use Slack. I mean, do you, can you just say no to these things or? Uh, yeah, I, I have done. Um, I, I've got Skype, um, which yeah. I'm increasingly using for calls and video calling. Um, and uh, yeah, before we forget, we should talk about what happens when you get in front of a client or you're communicating with a client. Um, but uh, other ones, no. WhatsApp, I think, is inappropriate. Uh, texting is just plain weird. Unless I, yeah. know, you know, unless I know you or I'm meeting you somewhere or, you know, and your train's delayed or whatever, don't text me with inquiries. Um, that's just weird, isn't it? Yeah, one of our um, mutual kind of Twitter friends, uh, who I won't name, um, has this problem constantly. So he's bombarded with emails and people text him and they'll phone him and they'll send him WhatsApp messages and they're all business related. You know, it's yeah. not, it's not that, you know, he's, he's inundated with WhatsApp messages from his mates. It's, it's all business related. And how do you, how do you stay on top of that when everything's coming at you from all directions? It must be incredibly frustrating and not necessarily overwhelming, but it, it must add to your sort of tension and anxiety if you're busy to be constantly bombarded like that. I think it is. I think it is a great anxiety creator, isn't it? Mm. Uh, and you get into this. Um, if I've got mine turned off and I'm feeling anxious, I continually will then go back and check the device uh, to make sure that it hasn't updated or what I've sent is uh, appropriate. And that, yeah. that just accentuates my anxiety. So turning it off doesn't really help me. Um, because I know at the end of the day, I'm going to, it's like, you know, I'm going to unblock the chimney and all the soot's going to fall down it because it's still filling up. Uh, and then your, your house, and then the soot's going to come down the side of the chimneys and, you know, fill the windows up and it's still coming in. It's like putting off the inevitable, aren't you? Yeah. You've got to, you've got to deal with those things there and then, but it's, it's what, what I put in the, in the notes, the word triage, um, it's a horrible word. Um, but it really does, uh, capture what you're doing but when you're you know i said you know i've said over the last few months you know it's it's what i'm doing most of the day is composing emails um thinking about what i'm going to say to somebody Mm. i could save hours and hours and hours um if they just spoke to me on the phone (laughs) it just when you're in it when you're in that email loop you just go back with an email and you 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 realize that you've spent 20 minutes writing an email that you could have taken 30 seconds to just say on Speak. the phone, is yeah. it, is it that thing you're after? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but when you're in front of somebody, um, how do you deal with, uh, with, with people who are continually rude to you on email what, or, or in communications? What, I mean, I know you, you probably don't want to give away some trade secrets here, but um, how far does it have to go? Because, you know, that person that you're talking about, I don't know who it is, but uh, I would have lost the plot uh, a long time ago. Um, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty uh, forthright in the channels that p- 
people can communicate on uh, uh, with me on in work related matters, but I still cannot cope with it. You know, with the amount I get, it is really, really hard. Yeah, I think my technique is just. Um, I think I'm just quite succinct with people, um, regardless of of my relationship with them. I'd like to. In emails, I like to kind of set out exactly what it is I want to say quite quickly in in the email, so that they can read the first line or two and know where I'm going. And then I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of bullet points. You know, just set it out and then ask for for whatever resolution or reaction you want. Um, and I think dealing with clients face-to-face has to be a bit like that as well. You know, I think it's really one of my big frustrations in client meetings, particularly if there's, you know, three or four of the design team and a, an art director and a, an MD and then you've got three clients and that kind of thing, is it just all quite often gets too jolly. <laughs> um, you know, and there's people chatting about all sorts of things and laughter and it's fine to be friendly and, you know, not to get too... Um, bogged down in the business but it's your time you're taking up it's it's a precious thing and the client is paying for it yeah so you've got to just deal with what you're there to deal with you know get the business out of the way first and you know if if there's time go for a beer meetings are a pain in the arse at the best of time um so you've really got to make them work for you i think and I guess that's the same with any type of communication. Um, email, I just think you have to really try and make it work. I think I write succinct emails that are easy to understand and I like to think they're easy to act upon. So if I need something or I want something, you know, there's no ambiguity. Yeah, it has to be quite cold, doesn't it? I, I, it tot- does. I totally agree with you on on uh, the face to face thing. If you, in my experience, uh, if you want to get anywhere in a meeting, write down a schedule, plonk yeah. it in front of everybody else, and make sure you tick those things off the list as you go, because you will find that one person, especially normally the business owner, will want yes. to go down a rabbit hole of one particular subject and they will keep doing it. They will keep changing subject because they want to talk about the fact that, you know, I don't know, their son has gone, uh, has has done an amazing drawing and that should go on the front page of the website or, you know, whatever it is, they just want to, to say that one point over and over, or they want to make silly jokes or whatever, but you've got to get through that first, you know, those lists. And then you can talk about, you know, the game last night or that's it because not everyone in that meeting is going to be under as much pressure to deliver and they're not going to have the same time constraints and like you say the business owner isn't going to have had you know 67 emails in the last three hours about that project he's going to have had one or two so they have a different i guess a different outlook as to how the project is progressing uh, and you know, and the, the amount of time involved in certain things. So you have to, yeah, you have to just make things work for you. 
I, I think also it's really um, it's a really hard skill to learn, especially if you're going from junior designer to a middleweight and you're starting to tag along to meetings. That's that's mm. OK. But when you're a senior designer or, um, or creative lead, it is really hard because you are doing so many things at once. Unless you've got, you know, you're in a big agency, which I've never been in, but you've got you are doing you are plate spinning. You are taking notes. You're visualizing in your head. Uh, especially on your own as well, um, how something might work as they're describing their concept to you. Um, you might be working out what the politics in the room are um, yeah. and you're doing all of that, but you're also having a conversation and listening to the person because one thing is just listen to them and don't um, don't try and talk over them with your idea because your idea isn't particularly necessarily the solution at that time yeah um and might never be just the only solution so it's really it's a real uh learning curve and the only way you can learn it is by putting yourself in it and if you're particularly uh, averse to social situations like me um then it's really really hard it really it is really really hard but you, you just have yourself to sound like a hermit john i know i am like a yeah I, I i am i have to force myself to do things you know and and i think that's where uh, a lot of designers, especially ones that I've, you know, worked with and who are a little bit more shy, normally the most talented ones. Um, that's where they, that's where they stick in career-wise. They don't yeah. want to get in front of the client, or the agency doesn't put their designers in front of clients. Um, and I think it's just massively wrong to do that. Um, yeah, I'm, I've been guilty of it in the past of, of nurturing that culture. And, um, it, it, you need to sit in front of clients and work out what, what humans are like. Um, and I've been doing this a lot, a long time, I guess, plenty long time. And I am still working it out and find yeah. it the hardest part of my job, harder than, um, uh, harder than anything, I think. Yeah. I can't I can't think of anything that is more difficult than dealing with client communication. So it's definitely lots of food for thought there. Yeah. I just want to bring in something I found on a on a blog today, um, which is by Jocelyn K. Gly, who were, writes about work and creativity in the age of distraction. Uh and it's about um completion bias and productivity this article uh, so completion bias is all about uh, your brains are wired to complete tasks and there's a, a variety of thinking about how you should make use of that in your daily work so should you do all the little things first um, to get them out of the way so you kind of tick things off and it makes you feel good or should you concentrate on the most important things rather than the quickest things um, I think the According to this article, the the kind of thinking has been that although it's you it makes you feel good to tick things off, putting off the the big tough tasks actually adds to your anxiety and your tension because it's you know even though you're doing certain things, that's still at the back of your mind. Um, but this article says that actually completing tasks, if you start your day by doing a few quick mundane tasks, I guess you know getting some of your emails out of the way or things like that it um it releases dopamine because you achieve goals dopamine is released and dopamine improves attention memory and motivation so by completing small tasks you prepare your mind and body for being more productive when it comes to 
you know, doing that more difficult work. That's which an I amazing. thought was really interesting. Yeah, and it's, I'm going to sound like I'm making this up, but that's something that I've adopted probably within the last year or so. And I find it, oh, I find it, uh, it really, really helps. Yeah. Yeah, massively. Um, yeah, just, I have three things on my list. They might be phone the opticians and book a, an eye appointment. You know, That's as, mun- as mundane as that, it? yeah, or um, tidy your desktop up. Or, yeah. um, and I've said this before, um, lady that I worked for before was just tidy the studio up. You know, that that is one way to get rid of anxiety pangs. Yeah. Um, but I think once you're, we'll talk about this in another time, but once your anxiety goes beyond a certain point, it's impossible, even with those small tasks, to, to get rid of it. But I think one of the biggest things in our modern lives, um, we're so, you know, milk pappy, milk fed little, <laughs> you know, kids. Yeah. Um, but one of the problems in it is, is this just the never ending stream of communication? It, it, it's unhealthy. And I, I'd like to explore, you know, another time is, you know, what are the alternatives to it? What happens when you turn everything off? Um, what happens to businesses when they do turn everything off and they go off grid? Yeah. <laughs> uh, is it possible? Um, well, D, uh, Daniel Benioff Gray did a week uh, offline. Did he? Um, and wrote a blog about it, which I can't remember what his, uh, his, his uh, conclusion was, so I'll have to dig that out. But um, yeah, It's not, so it's it's not available be, online, is it? It's not available, but he wrote it on some uh, <laughs> paper on a clipboard. <laughs> on rice paper and then he ate it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, there's an experiment to be done, isn't there? Which is to say to uh, the next client you get, you know, this is the the only communication channel I'm available on. And maybe even take it further and say, I'm available for email between 9 and 11 each day and between 4 and 5 each day. Any yeah. other time, you have to pick up the phone. Yeah. That sounds really strict. <laughs> it does. <laughs> well, if you're going to be strict with a client, you've got to do it at the beginning, haven't you? Yeah. Before um, I think I've been so habits. strict. I've been so strict with one this week that uh, I haven't heard back from her. <laughs> She's crying. <laughs> oh, today. <clears throat> pie. Pie. She, yeah, I think website of the week can wait. Well, I I just threw mine in there, so that was my website of the week. That article. Oh right, okay. Um, pie, yeah. So Come on then, Rob, introduce it. We, uh, I got a message from a while back from Mike Sullivan of Studio Mister. We were talking about pies, and he listens to the the podcast and enjoys it, I think. Um, and he's um, he offered to make us a pie each, um, which which arrived yesterday, and you your lovely wife picked up your pie from me today, uh, and it looks marvellous, doesn't it? Well, it, I, I wouldn't expect anything less. No, uh, from such a uh, a talented dude uh, yeah. and very generous. Um, Absolutely, so thank Mikey, you so much, Mike. Uh, it is a thing of beauty. I mean, it really is, and it's got heft to it, which I like. Yeah, it's a pie with a pie with heft is a is a pie that I like. He's By the done, way, are you eating the whole thing? Yeah, I'm just seeing it with knife and fork. No, yeah. no, we're going to have this for our dinner afterwards. Okay. Um, it is. Uh, it's kind of got a scotch pie design, you know, straight edged sides, but then yep. it's crimped 
Um, and it's probably 120 mil across. Like a CD, isn't it? Sort of diameter. Oh, isn't it a bit bigger than a CD? Is it? Very I don't know. It's been a while since it's I a CD. CD. I've already took tin. Oh, right. And um, it's got lattice work across the top. There's gravy that's oozed out the four lovely holes in it. I mean, yep. it's a thing of beauty. I mean, you don't have to look at his, his posters that he designs to know that <laughs> yeah. the, the man's seriously visually talented. Yeah. So I'm going in. Are you, Rob? Well, you go in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's so it's venison skirt. Uh, bacon, mushroom, and onion. Um, yeah. So, what do you think? It's um. It just it just goes to show that um, that homemade pies rock. Uh, it's it's lovely. It's um, the pastry is cracking. It's really the really incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the meat is lo- it's just falling apart. I don't know how yeah. he's cooked he's cooked that for hours. Um and it's got a nice gaminess to it. Yeah. It wouldn't mu- surprise me if he shot that deer himself. Really? I just hope it wasn't an old deer. <laughs> oh, mm. it's so good. Yeah. Really, really tasty, really sort of deep, intense flavour. Yeah. I mean, should we rate it, it'd be rude, rude. It's nice and peppery as well. Oh, yeah. yeah, he he can cook. So, uh, Mike, when you're coming over to cook Christmas dinner, mm. um, we can reheat it. So a couple of days before is fine. Perfect. That is such a good pie. Yeah. That's my favourite pie of the series. Only about nine. Yeah. I can't think what what it lacks. Mm, mashed potato and gravy. I've got mashed potato coming. What? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to eat some mashed potato later. Mm. Thank you That's so much, Mike. Pie. Are you washing it down with anything, John? I've got a glass of um, honeydew uh, oh. fullers. It's all right. Um, but I had a glass of cider earlier, thinking it was just, it was in the fridge. So I thought, well, you know, have a bit. Didn't realise it was 8%. Mm. So I was feeling a bit woozy before the. That explains a hell of a lot. Yeah, does it? I've got to admit, the Smog Rocket smoked porter is bloody lovely. And it's great with a, with a venison pie. Yeah, I bet it is. Really nice. Bet Guinness is good with that pie. Yeah. Oh, Mike, you've done us proud. Oh, so, if there are any other uh, top UK designers <laughs> out there that would like to send us pies, um, mm. then uh, you can send them to um, to Rob's address. Well, we could go international. You know, maybe um, Eric Speakerman can send us some. Uh, What's a German uh, pie? Well. Schnitzel is kind of Austrian, but they eat a lot of it in Germany. Maybe with some spatula, which would be nice. Uh, well, he could just send us um, some affogato, which he's looking at his Twitter feed. He's incredibly keen on. I, I, I love an affogato. Do you? Is that yeah? Just what ice cream and coffee? Yeah. Oh yeah, in Sicily, bit of that. Mm. Oh yum. Maybe a grappa yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah. So if you're a culinary culinary skilled designer, yeah. Wow. Be rude not to. Well, we'll be giving something back at you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, that was uh, a good one. I'm not sure I made much sense during it because of my cider-addled brain. But um, it seemed <laughs> like we were did. a bit more prepared than normal. Yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, and a brilliant, uh, a brilliant way to end uh, end the episode on the an eighteen the out of twenty. No, I, hey, I haven't given it a score yet. Oh. It's getting a 10, John. Whoa. 
Really? There's nothing, I can't think of anything that would make that pie any better. I'm amazed. I'm not amazed. I'm uh, I'm pleased. That's a great pie. Good work. Um, I feel like a very lucky boy. Are you going to make the uh, show icon this week? <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, yes, because I was remiss last week, wasn't I? I left it all to you. Mm. It has to be a um, uh, a gif of... Uh, what's that band? Spandau Ballet Communication. Do you what? remember that video? It was really good. It was, communication? Oh. Yeah, it was like sort of the Sweeney. No, I don't remember that one at all. Yeah, it's the only thing I ever liked of theirs. Uh-huh. I'll look it up. Yeah, wide boys, weren't they? Yep. Right. Well, John, that was a, a pleasure and a joy, as always. Yeah, it was brilliant. What are you up to this weekend? <clears throat> um, no wedding, um, which is great. Um, so I think we'll try and do something nice. I think we might be popping into London to meet up with um, some friends on Saturday morning. So we'll go have some breakfast and then maybe we'll do something cultural and then go somewhere nice for lunch. Lovely. Oh, yeah. Saturday mornings in London when it's quiet. It's best, nothing. It? Yeah, love it. My favourite thing. Yeah, what about you? Uh going to my mother's down on the south coast yeah very nice yeah so um uh, that's it i'm gonna just flop i think good for you so we'll see you next week we will and thanks for um, listening yeah and take care and you Cheerio. I am closing down. I have much to do. You have engaged my circuit on your petty affairs for far too long.